Welcome to the Judgment episode of Head, Heart, Gut, the friendly debate show where there is no right answer, just the best answer. Over the last three episodes, our contestants have argued about which animal companion is best. Through our rigorous point system, we have concluded that Toothless from How to Train Your Dragon is the best. Rowan, Rowan beat our asses. Really yeah, yeah, I did. But we have another chance to prove ourselves in front of our judge, Amanda McLaughlin. We will give our opening statements, argue how our choice hits the rhetorical triangle, logos or our head, pathos or our heart, and ethos or our gut, and then get a chance to answer cross-examination questions. But first, let's hear from Judge McLaughlin. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me. I uh, famously am overly empathetic and when there is like a butter knife that looks like a face i can't use it because i don't want to push someone's face into a pad of butter unless they really ask me for it but amanda that's his purpose <laughs> yes but it's just it's too much for me and so whenever i see op on the screen i cry and cry uh scooby-doo i i'm worried about his his knowledge of mortality uh toothless seems too adorable and i can't watch most pixar films uh or dreamworks films for that matter are they the same who can say i'm the judge no one cares they're different um uh, thank you. They are different. I heard. I heard they they're the same because the judge said so. So that's <laughs> no, no, no. I I appreciate uh, answering of a no, non-rhetorical question. No, um, no. I had cold brew this morning, and I am bringing that concentrated <laughs> energy to bear. Anyway, so I am excited to to learn more about these uh, furry, feathery, and scaly pals uh, who normally I would just uh, get too too tender hearted over. I'm going to be ruthless. I'm going to be discerning. I can't wait. I'm scared now. I've never seen Amanda ruthless before. <laughs> It'll probably be me being like, well, um, you know, objectively, these are cuter than those. So. <laughs> oh, no, the cuteness quotient. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. I didn't put that in my argument. Well, let's get into our opening statements, guys, where each contestant will have one minute for their opening statements to present their choice to me. And I would love to go in the order that the original episodes came out. So, Julia, you will have one minute for your opening remarks. Great. This is a peek behind the curtain for my contestants. Forgot to write stuff today. So, blah, blah, blah. here we go. Hello. Let's go. Amanda, when you consider the best animal companion, what you really need to consider is not the cuteness factor. It's not like what they can do for the person who is the quote unquote main character here. It is the bond. It is the significant spiritual and emotional bond between a boy and his flying bison. Amanda, it's so important. And in this episode, I'm going to explain exactly why both from a religious and spiritual and also practical sense that Appa, the flying bison from Avatar The Last Airbender, is in fact the best animal companion. Fabulous. I like how you said my name to, to like establish rapport and intimacy. I appreciate that. I want to do that instead of going, um... <laughs> <laughs> Well, it looks like next in our order is Scooby-Doo uh, with one Eric Silver. Miffiance. I promise our relationship will have nothing nothing to bear on my judgment here today. I'm going to make direct eye contact with you the entire time. Is that bad? As long as your mic technique's good, then go for it. Okay, I'll shift <laughs> my entire body to make sure that works. All right, you have one minute and I will start the timer when you start talking. Scooby-Dooby-Doo. 
Where are you? He's in our hearts. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Scooby-Doo is by far the best animal companion. Scooby-Doo has been the subject of at least 19 TV series on CBS, ABC, the WB Cartoon Network, and Boomerang, more than 40 animated films, and two live-action movies in the early 2000s, the first of which grossed over $275 million worldwide. When we talk about Animal Companion, remember, it's not just like our dog who we love. It is both the uh, companion, first of all, is the relationship between what the humans in the actual story are doing and how they aid them to do so, and also the property themselves. Sorry that there's only one uh, Avatar The Last Airbender series that has Appa in it, and like I've never seen the How to Train Your Dragon movie, so everyone on Tumblr can yell at me, and that's fine. But you cannot deny that Scooby-Doo makes mysteries get solved. All right, that's time. Thank you. Uh, Rowan and Julia slowly just shaking their heads as birds chirp adorably outside Rowan's window. Oh, I, I can't wait to get to the the questioning round, the cross-examination <laughs> I think round. that me and Julia might have the same cross-examination question mm-hmm. for Eric. <laughs> uh, this is a great constellation of people. I'm very excited. Okay, Rowan, it is over to you. I will start your one minute when you begin speaking. Dragons. Truly the coolest fictional creature. From Scandinavia to Egypt, China to the Arctic regions, dragons have appeared in mythology and folklore across the whole globe. They capture the imagination, strike fear, grant luck, and appear on three world flags, Wales, Bhutan, and Malta. It would take a truly impressive character to break through the thousands of years of stories to make a mark on dragon kind. But take a look at any list of people's favourite dragons, from The Guardian to the book Trust, and Toothless will be there. He's fictional, he's an animal, He's a damn good companion. And yes, he is the best. Damn. Wow. Incredible. I'm intimidated. One of the greatest uh, impact to time um, opening statements we've ever had. Incredible. Yeah, but Rowan didn't say Scooby-Doo was in our heart. So <laughs> or sing saying. the theme song for How to Train Your Dragon, which is not a thing. How dare you? That is indeed a How to Train Your Dragon theme song. It's called Test Flight and it will make you cry. Are there lyrics to it or is it just like instrumental? It's instrumental. Okay. Is this like in Game of Thrones where it's the Game of Thrones music, but you can say Peter Dinklage to it the entire time? <laughs> that would be amazing. I'm sure there is a way of just singing Toothless to the Test Flight soundtrack. Peter Dinklage, Peter Dinklage, <laughs> Peter Dinklage. That is how it would come. Well, let's, let's get off of these arts, these feelings, these bonding moments between friends. Instead, go ruthlessly to Logos. This is the appeal to reason and logic, and it's on each of you to tell me why your topic is the best logical choice. I'm going to kind of rotate through who begins. So, Eric, you will be the first person. You'll have two minutes, and your time will begin when you start talking. Logically. Scooby-Doo is the only one of these folks who would actually exist. (laughs) I just want to say, no flying bison, no dragons. At least Scooby-Doo is a dog. And, like, I wish I had a lightsaber and an alethiometer, but what I would really love is a screwdriver that could talk to me and tell me what would actually happen. So at least the screwdriver is added, and then we put a little bit of fantasy on top of it. So logically, the best thing about all three of our animals is that Scooby-Doo can speak human language. All animals understand feelings, but he has trained his dog mouth to speak like a human, which is actually impossible. Because human language is based on two principles. There's vocabulary. (laughs) the words that you're putting together and what meaning means into words, and then the syntax, human mouths actually making those sounds and putting that stuff together. But a cat does a different thing, right? Animals do different things. A cat purrs when it's pleased, 
and that demonstrates I'm happy to you. So there's a different type of like body language truly that needs to happen as animals interact with humans. And that is from the Davidson Institute of Science Education from Wall Street International. Let's talk about why humans are the only species that can talk. And we are so obsessed with animals that can speak. There have been so many scientific studies trying to teach like dolphins and gorillas and chimpanzees and dogs to actually speak. Uh, Language is exclusively human and animals don't have a big enough brain to actually be able to put all this stuff together. Plus what's happening with their mouth. The fact that Scooby-Doo can talk at all is a scientific miracle (laughs) and beautiful. Now Scooby-Doo also knows only so many words and phrases. He does do some pantomime, but he was smarter than that. He'd be Scrappy-Doo and Scrappy-Doo is literally evil and terrible. Humans have that inherent evil inside of them, but Scooby is that perfect balance between animal companionship and human brain size and ability. Okay. Bold argument. I'm here for it. Yeah, guys. I took it in this direction. (laughs) I love the fact that you essentially said cats purr. I took that fact from the Institute of... (laughs) I was like, oh, fascinating. I didn't know we needed to cite cats purr, but sure. I took the the, the other thing about human language principles. But yeah, cats purr, I learned that. I didn't know that. (laughs) Nice. And I was was going to add, but I didn't want to interject uh, to your time that when cats uh, are bored and want attention, they knock over full glasses of water. That's true. Uh, Rowan, you are going to be next in our Logos uh, section of this debate. You have two minutes. Okay. Well, logic dictates a set of criteria should be laid down for judgment of any topic. When we think of animal companions, these might include loyalty, intelligence, adorableness, ability to defend their human friends. And Toothless excels in all of these areas. But it is difficult to quantify, you know, with numbers, the measure of loyalty or adorableness. And so this section, because it's about logic, facts, mathematics, if you will, I'm going to focus on the stats I do have. The stats that show that Toothless is an absolute tank who could destroy anything in his path. So canonically, best speed and attack score of any dragons in the franchise. And these dragons, mind you, manage to destroy towns without even trying. Uh, And Toothless is the best of them. So he has a score of 150 for attack, 160 for speed, which is compared to other dragons who have speed scores going down to 80 and attack scores going all the way down to 50. His fireball attack can blast through buildings and melt iron is estimated to be over 3,000 degrees Celsius or, in, you know, alternate money, 5,400 degrees Fahrenheit. Ooh, ah. <laughs> has been estimated that Toothless reaches speeds of 240 miles per hour or 386 kilometers per hour. Yet his impressive flying would be impossible without the reciprocal relationship of equals he shares with Hiccup. After Toothless's tail is damaged beyond his ability to heal, Hiccup engineers a prosthetic to help him fly again, one that at first needs Hiccup to help operate it, and the two form a bond of true friendship and respect where they learn to fly again together. Stunning. Mm. Stunning. Yeah, it's definitely good that Hiccup got that injury just from no other reason and no one was involved with that. Oh, uh, listen, listen, buddy. I'm going to address that later on. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you have to overcome obstacles before you can, you know, Mm -hmm. truly bond. I understand. I'll I'll come back to that. Well, Julia, I heard heard that Appa has had some obstacles to overcome. So why don't you tell us a little bit about logically why the flying air bison is the best? Appa has had a lot of obstacles to overcome, but before we get to that, Amanda, Appa represents a religiously significant bond in the lore of the last airbender universe. So airbenders learned how to airbend by watching the sky bison, and as such, they became so pivotal to airbending culture that the tattoos that airbenders receive when they come of age are actually based off of the flying bison. So before Aang even meets Appa, the flying bison is so 
important and integral to the society that Aang grew up in. And I'll also say that like, and I'll talk about this a little bit more in the heart section, but the bond between an animal companion and this like spiritual link that Aang has with Appa is a long line of avatars being bonded with companion animals. And it's a super important aspect to the Last Airbender universe. But Appa's significance and impact to the series as well should be noted in the critical reception of the episode Appa's Lost Days, which is extremely sad if you've seen the series, super impactful, deals with animal abuse, very well done. And the episode has received a Genesis Award from the Humane Society of the United States in the category of, quote, outstanding children's programming, describing it as, quote, a mythical tale about animals held captive for human entertainment that resonates in the way that animals are used in circuses today. So not only is Appa there to have cultural significance in our culture today, he also has cultural and religious significance in the world that he is in. Fabulous. Thank you all. Oh, baby. Well, it's now to me to judge each player on this section. Um, wow. wow. Abba got lost. Logically, seems bad. <laughs> not true. Abba got kidnapped and tried to find his way home. Wow. He got kidnapped. Seems like he's not logically the best animal. <laughs> As opposed to Scooby-Doo, who obviously has never been kidnapped Never in his been life. kidnapped nope. ever never in his ever. life. <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to grab the Band-Aid. Eric, you're getting one point for this section. No! Uh, <laughs> I'm 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 sorry to say that I didn't learn anything, <laughs> and um, <laughs> I think you're riding the line between saying, "Hey, isn't it so special how animals, you know, talk?" Like this is not best like sidekick uh, to pay a salary to. It's like an yes, animal companion to a person. <laughs> and while I appreciate that Scooby Doo can, uh, you know, say Scooby Snack. It doesn't make him better than other animal companions, in my estimation, because it's about it's not an animal. It's, it's not a human like it's, it's an animal and they're going to communicate as animals do. I, I appreciate your citation. Didn't learn a ton. Uh, love you. Let's get married. Uh, secondly, <laughs> we're going to give two points here to Julia. I very um, appreciate the uh, grounding of your future arguments in this religious uh, context. However, for three points, it's got to be Rowan here. Um, I appreciated you set your parameters. You got lots of ranges for context and the scores on the animal themselves. And um, of course, doing that uh, Celsius to Fahrenheit conversion <laughs> for us, uh, us backward Americans, uh, much appreciated. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. But still, guys, anyone's game. We've we've seen we've seen greater upsets. Rowan, remind me, is there like a Pokedex in the How to Train Your Dragon? Dragon universe about those numbers? Yeah, there's like a little nerdy character who has playing cards that I think he might have made himself of like all of the different species so that he can compare them all. That's adorable. Beautiful. I love that. Adorable. Played by the actor who played McLovin. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> oh, McLovin has the numbers? McLovin's oh, fuck yeah, dude. Numbers. Give that to Rowan. Three points. <laughs> Incredible. We move now to heart or pathos. Pathos is an appeal to emotion and feelings. Make me feel why your topic is the best. I'm not going to say I'm going to give bonus points if it makes me cry, but like I'm going to consider it. Um, so continuing our rotation, Rowan, you are going to begin. You have two minutes. Aristotle spoke of pathos in his writing <laughs> rhetoric. <laughs> Emphasizing the importance of emotion, which he saw as states of mind involving both pleasure and pain, which in turn influence our perceptions. Pleasure and pain. So by the very core of its meaning, is there anything with more pathos than enemies to lovers? Yes, I would argue enemies to friends. 
And this is what we can see between Hiccup and Toothless. Not some cowardly dog who would show loyalty to anyone who fed him an oversized sandwich, or a floating sentient bus whose fringe makes him look like Justin Bieber in 2010, going wherever he's commanded. Fair. Got him. Toothless is his own character, who starts the series distrusting and afraid of Hiccup, yet gradually each learns to trust and respect the other. It's a tale of outsiders from two sides of a war, showing empathy towards each other and learning to understand their differences to change their whole societies to be more loving and tolerant. Again, I remind you of that Aristotelian sentiment, states of mind involving both pleasure and pain, which in turn influence our perceptions. This mix of pleasure and pain, of the kind of emotions that make stoic Vikings weep at the whisper of the musical theme of the movie, that can teach important lessons to young and old, is the exact definition of pathos. Thank you so much. Nice. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. We should stop getting new people. <laughs> it makes it harder. It makes it a lot harder. I know. Damn. Damn. Julia, it is over to you for Sweet Appa. You have two minutes beginning whenever the train decides um, to go to sleep. Thank you. Industry. Industry. Woo. We love it. That train is carrying so much industry and economic growth on it. Amanda, flashback with me to a moment when you're like eight years old, eight to 12, I would say, and you were probably reading a lot of YA novels. Now, imagine, Amanda, that you were reading these novels and you stumble across this fantasy novel and it is all about, you know, the bond between a girl and the magic wolf that appeared from another world, right? Didn't you want to go into the woods immediately after reading that and be like, hey, Where's my magic wolf? Hey, where is the animal that I am spiritually bonded to that we were meant to be together forever? Now, Amanda, that bond that you had with that magical wolf or fox or owl or whatever you is the same bond between a boy and his flying bison. Appa is the epitome of that kind of desired bond. Not only is he spiritually linked to Aang, they chose each other in this moment of beautiful ceremony with apples and they promised to never leave each other. It's also that like the species is incredibly important to his culture, but he also represents that long line of bonded animals to an avatar. And because Aang is the reincarnation of the same soul in different bodies, basically, I think it is safe to say that Appa is also a representation of the souls of these spiritually bonded animals that will never leave him. And I think that is just the epitome of what tickles my heartstrings, you know, when I think about an animal companion. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Are your heartstrings okay? No, they're very ticklish. (laughs) Sorry, I have ticklish heartstrings. I need to sit down. I can't run the mile. (laughs) That was my excuse all the time. If only. That's why I have to walk the miles, my ticklish heartstrings. In my pajama pants. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Rowan, do you know about the mile? Uh, I've heard whispers. Okay. And it is mandatory for so, all children. because of selective service yeah. <laughs> and compulsory military service, America made all the kids do fitness tests and rank each other and like measure your body fat and all kinds of bad shit. Uh, and then post the results publicly for, for other kids to make fun of us fat kids. And that was the presidential fitness test. Uh, why is it presidential? Uh, again, because of selective service uh, and just to make you feel bad about yourself and one of them was having to run a mile um in 12 minutes or less it was bad that we we just had like sports days where they would make someone there had to be at least one person in each of the houses who would run the like 1500 meters and luckily Mm. our house in my year had a girl janine who really loved cross country and so we would be like 
apologies, Janine, you will be running 1500 meters. <laughs> and if we had our way, you would also be running the 800 as well. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's as close as we got. The, the closest I've ever come to competing on Survivor and the closest I ever will um, <laughs> is when uh, we had days in um, in gym class where like they were cooperative. And so there'd be like beanbags and a scooter and, and hula hoops. And you'd have to like move, from, you know, across the lava to the mat. And uh, one time in probably fourth or fifth grade, my little group, they were like, OK, guys, uh, go for it. And my group was like, all right, Amanda, what should we do? And I was like, I've never felt such power. Yes. Social acceptance. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. Great. Well, with that lovely trip down nostalgia lane, this this cross-cultural understanding, um, Eric, it is your turn to finish out the pathos category. You have two minutes starting now. Sorry, I was Googling Janine. She's in the House of Lords now. Oh, oh no. Janine's a Dory? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Amanda, I want to show yes. you something. And can you please describe what it is that you're looking at here? Oh, it's a bulldog in a Scooby Doo costume. He is. That's in a pretty Scooby-Doo good. Halloween that's pretty costume. good. Uh, can you also describe this image oh, that I have right here? That's a dog that looks like Scooby Doo wearing a Scooby Doo collar. Yes. Oh, because adorable. First of all, to point out, when you Google Scooby Doo dog costume, you get eight million two hundred twenty-two thousand results on Google, found in point eight one seconds. Shout out to uh, the apocalypse that we live in the thing is is that i don't need to come up with like wow i can't believe humans and dragons come together and i can't believe that justin bieber flying bison and and people come together because we literally already have the relationship between person and dog and we are now able to like turn that into things in reality because people want their dogs to look like scooby-doo on halloween and in fact we already we have a very illustrative relationship in the actual scooby-doo show between Scooby-Doo and Shaggy Rogers. Shaggy and Scooby are best friends for life. I know that I, you might heard that you just give Scooby a snack or a sandwich and he'll fall for you, but that's not true. They are best friends for life. Yeah, pet and master, but really it's like brothers, a strong brother bond. They do everything together, including in the actual Scooby-Doo universe, every single episode, TV, movie, or whatever, has Shaggy and Scooby in it. Unless we're talking about the actual spin off that's just Velma and Daphne, every single one has Scooby-Doo and Shaggy because best friends ride together. The fact is that Shaggy and Scooby also have the same relationship in the group, that they're just like, the id, I'm scared, I want to eat, I want to sleep, that's it, means that they fulfill the same role, but the animal companionship fits into the the group of the Mystery Machine together because uh, we love Time. the dog, but we also love Time. our tall Shaggy friend together. Shaggy is a last name? That's the first I'm hearing. Shaggy Rogers. I think his Damn. real name is Norbert, if I'm right, if mm-hmm. I'm correct. He's, he's Norbert Rogers III. Did we ever do the research to find out whether or not he was actually rich? Or did we just come up with that in a weird fever dream? Because, well, it changes because, you know, there are kids in one and there are adults sure. in others. So I, I'm not sure. I don't think so. I think he just has a fancy, fancy name. Because okay. it'd be funny if the, the stoner had a fancy name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lovely. Well, it is Amanda, now. Amanda, look, look at no, 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 look at no, this dog. no, no more battering. You cannot sway me. Um, it is now to me to give each player a score from one to three. Let me reflect for a minute. All right, this one is going to be three points to Julia. Very good, uh, appealing to nostalgia, to love, to every kid's desire for an animal companion. That was wonderful, and I love that kind of continuity between not just Appa and Aang, but the bond between the Avatar and his companion, uh, or their companion, um, throughout all of time. And then I am going to tie Scooby-Doo and Toothless. Two points to both of you, Rowan and Eric. Uh, You both did a good job in 
extraordinarily opposite ways. Um, and they're both effective. And I just want to uh, commend you both. I just I said, fuck yeah, Aristotle in my notes. And uh, and that the sweet little doge will stay with me all day. I knew it. I had to pander. Would it have been more effective just to have me scroll through the images for two minutes, perhaps? Um, but I'll leave. <laughs> but not you... a good audio experience. No, not ha- a good audio experience. So had very to do true. it for the content. All right, and then finally, we're going to move on to gut or ethos. This is an appeal to ethics and values, and you'll each tell me why your topic is good for society at large. Julia, you are going to be first. Hey, listen, Amanda, there are two sides to APA that I feel like have not been represented yet in my argument and have been a little bit mocked by my fellow contestants. APA is a genuinely funny character. He is there mostly for comedic relief and an enjoyable experience as a whole. Uh, Blowing raspberries in people's faces, off eating at inappropriate times in the corner. He's a delightful, delightful character. And then you have the other side, Amanda, where he can truly pull at your heartstrings, where he is in distress or there to save the day. He can really just like work both sides. And I feel like an animal companion should work both sides. An animal companion shouldn't just be comedic relief or an animal companion shouldn't just be, you know, drama and angst. Appa is here to be serious when we need him to be serious and to provide comedic relief when we need him to have comedic relief. And I think that is a big part of his personality. He is a big flying bison manatee man and he is there to both be there to love and also to be there when times are tough and that's why we love appa Alrighty, fantastic hmm i wonder it's wild that appa was the first animal companion to do uh comedic things which is it's great for tv at large yeah it's great it's almost like he um does comedic things but also has an episode that will make you cry every single time unlike uh, someone who is only just comedic relief wow you don't have to call it rowan <laughs> <laughs> so you don't remember scooby-doo's lost days from no, tell me more about that <laughs> What happened to Scooby-Doo? Wasn't there a recent movie where Scooby like goes to hell in order to save his friends? I feel like that Probably. was a thing. If, if it wasn't, it will be. Uh, look for it this time next year. <laughs> okay, Eric, over to you. Time for gut or ethos. You have two minutes. Uh, I want to talk about what Scooby-Doo does the most. And it's not cower. It's not eat. It's goddamn solve crimes and put bad people away. Let's talk about this, the laws that Scooby-Doo villains usually break. Robbery, smuggling, counterfeiting, burglary, and prison escape at least once in that first season. <laughs> Strangely, wildly, these people are tr- usually trying to cover up economic crimes. In the first 25 out of 27 episodes in the first season of Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Coming up some sort of economic crimes. Also, those people are usually in good jobs. And I- I'm putting quotes around it because it was the 60s. So it's like respectable white collar crimes. Like uh, they were usually a proprietor of an estate or they were like a museum curator or something. But they're trying to get people to get scared away either to like bring more money to the museum or the estate or to take them away so you can steal something of monetary value. For example, in the episode Scooby-Doo and a Mummy 2, the villain pretends to be a mummy to find hidden jewels as he's scaring away the archaeology professor. But the archaeology professor is 
tied up and kidnapped and they don't know where they go because they're replaced by a stone dummy. So like, also let's add kidnapping to it. Maybe they'll kill the person afterwards. Thank God Scooby-Doo defeated the white collar criminals of the 1960s, 70s and beyond and because Scooby-Doo is helping out uh, on behalf of everyone else. I also want to say that when this debuted, this the Mystery Machine was counterculture. These were young people fighting against the Vietnam Nixon era when you couldn't t- trust anyone over 30. Remember, the, the hippie stoner definitely objected to Vietnam, and Scooby-Doo is a part of all of that. So, Scooby-Doo anti-Vietnam War. Yeah, Scooby-Doo also hates cops because cops couldn't help, but Scooby-Doo can. But it's weird that they always hang the villains over to the cops at the end of the episode. Mm, interesting, interesting. Legitimate criticisms we can bring to bear, for sure. I, I don't have a response to that, unfortunately. <laughs> no problem. And uh, to close out this survey round, um, Rowan, it is on you to tell me why Toothless is the best uh, via gut or ethos. So I know an argument my fellow debaters might be hoping to make against my choice of Toothless. is one fateful day when, under the control of the Alpha Dragon, Toothless killed his best friend Hiccup's father. But, far from an argument against Toothless, the full story only furthers the case for him. Because it isn't merely a tale of death, but one of abuse, love and forgiveness. Toothless was not himself when this event happened. He was totally under another's control and would never have done such a thing normally. As soon as the control is broken, he is clearly heartbroken at what he's done, but doesn't wallow in self-pity, but works to make change to ensure this kind of thing never happens again by defeating the Alpha once and for all. Should we blame those who are controlled and coerced or those doing the controlling? Should we hold hatred in our hearts for those who have stumbled or should we work towards peace and forgiveness? A vote for Toothless is a vote for the values of truth, justice, and mercy. Thank you. <laughs> Toothless killed his dad. He was Rowan. merely a tool, a tool controlled by someone else. And it broke his heart that he had done that. Well, I'm so glad that he felt so bad that Hiccup's dad came back to life. Oh, wait, no, he did it. He was still dead. Oh, someone isn't for truth, justice, and mercy. No! <laughs> he killed a guy! <laughs> well, I do think that the topic of forgiveness is best for society at large right now. So three points are going to go uh, over to Rowan yeah. and to Toothless. Two points are going to Scooby-Doo. I very appreciated that Scooby-Doo hates cops. Um, and... <laughs> Uh, moreover, that this is uh, all about, um, you know, counterculture and the youth saying, hey, why do people in power consistently enrich themselves at the expense of others? Exactly. I think it's a, a good message for us to know. Um, Julia, uh, appreciate it. See it. One point for this round, unfortunately. That's fine. I, I felt it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew what I'm about. That's okay. So now a quick score check before we move into the cross-examination round. We have... Six points for Julia and Appa. We have five points for Eric and Scooby-Doo. And we have eight points for Rowan Yay. and Toothless. Oh, boy. If I can make a comment, um, rut row. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a runaway victory yet by far, because we are now in the cross-examination round where every contestant has an opportunity to ask one of their competitors a question about their choice. I will be giving up bonus points however I see fit. I love sportspersonship and also uh, cunning. So, you know, it's on you guys. You all have the floor. Who has a question to begin? Julia, I see a hand over there. Okay, Julia. Eric, hello. Sure. What's up? What up, dog? So... Eric, a lot of your argument is based on the premise that Scooby-Doo is the one who is solving these mysteries. Sure. Correct. Right? Mm. Please explain to me 
how in the majority of the episodes, Scooby-Doo is the one to prove that the villain is the one behind the crime and to capture him and then turn him over to the police. Okay, good. This is what I was alluding to in my opening statement. The premise here is Animal Companion. We are not doing Animal Protagonist. We're not doing animal hero. It is companion. This is These animals are related to the work that is done. For example, I would say the same to you. Does Appa reunite the four nations <laughs> together? No, and I never claimed he did. No, he, he takes the Aang gang everywhere that they need to go, which is very important. Scooby-Doo is a part of the Mystery <laughs> Incorporated that solves these crimes. Scooby is a, is a necessary portion of it. Scooby runs the fastest. He can eat the most. He is the most willing, or at least can be coerced, to be bait, which is always important to Fred's plan of trapping the guy and as Velma and Daphne find clues. So he is a part of the team here. I would say that I do not want to take away any of Scooby-Doo's accomplishments just because he's part. he's an essential part of the team that does the mystery solving. Judge, may I, I ask a quick follow-up question? Yeah. Could Scooby's role not be usurped and done simply by Shaggy. Could Scooby-Doo not be eliminated completely from the equation and Shaggy fill that role and the situation and the dynamic remain the same? I would say uh, yes. However, it would be a way less good show. And what would we call the, the show? Teen Solving Mysteries? The Mystery Machine. The Mystery Gang. Uh, yes, he could do it. But like, yeah, that'd be really boring and no one would watch it. So Scooby, talking dog that can do the same things that Shaggy can do and also goes rut row. Very adorable. Also, a lot of these plans do hinge on giving Scooby a Scooby snack, him having Popeye-like powers, and then achieving something in that final thing. So I would say both yes and no. He is usually the linchpin of that stuff. I would also argue that Shaggy is almost always equally persuaded by Scooby snacks, despite the fact that they are... Actually, we don't know whether or not they are human snacks or dog snacks, and that's just wild. I'm pretty sure they're dog snacks. That's, see, Shaggy eats dog snacks, and that's why Scooby's essential. And that's canon. And that's canon. That's canon. All right. Uh, well asked, well answered. Who is asking next? Hey, Rowan. Oh, hello. Rowan, how's it going? Are you enjoying your first head It's haircut? going so well. I'm really enjoying this. It's so good to be amongst friends who respect each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we're here, you know, to like collectively raise up uh, an idea we can all get behind. Yeah. yeah. So friendly. So, uh, I mean, we've already touched on the fact that uh, Toothless killed uh hiccups dad and when you search uh does toothless the first three things on google involve killing uh hiccups dad um but i want to talk about how how hiccup lost his leg mm -hmm. and how toothless was involved absolutely a hundred percent involved if not blamed for him maiming his best friend Ah, oh, so interesting that you brought this up. So in the How to Turn Your Dragon universe, um, they each had a role in the other one losing a limb. Originally Hiccup, trying to be, you know, live up to expectations. He's at the beginning of his hero's journey. His father's putting pressure on him to be a Viking. Vikings kill dragons, decides that he's going to go and kill a dragon, shoots down Toothless, the first Viking ever to be able to shoot down a Night Fury. It's thought to be impossible. And when he shoots him down, what he's done is essentially damaged his tail so Toothless can't then fly away. In the finale of that first movie, in order to save Hiccup's life, Toothless covers him with his like wings and within the fall that would have otherwise killed him, he ends up losing a limb. 
It's something called a story arc, Eric. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that Scooby-Doo has not necessarily ever had any kind of character change through all of these many years. Um, But, you know, some other characters have and they, they have to start somewhere to end somewhere better. It's a beautiful cyclical moment. Both of them have forgiven each other. They have a deeper understanding of each other and they've helped each other through. It was so rude and polite when you said that. It's <laughs> <laughs> incredible. We should have had Brits earlier. Yeah, I, yeah absolutely. Uh, so what you're saying is that uh, Toothless is using the Tumblr parlance a problematic fave and you're okay with that. Yes, 100%. Because at least it's fine if they maim each other, then that's totally fine. We can exist on a problematic yeah, fave. Yeah, problematic fave. Also, he is a dragon. I don't think he has the ability to like issue an apology for past wrongs, you know? And if only that animal could speak human language. If only that was the case. Oh, that would make communication so much easier. If only. I rest my case. Good thing you rested your case because uh, it's down to our final cross-examination question. <laughs> so Rowan, rude. which of your competitors would you like to address? So I'm not going to lie, me and Julia had the exact same cross-examination question because I truly think it is a damning one to Scooby-Doo when indeed the argument was that he solves crimes and we fully know that he he has never solved a crime in his life. Not on his own, certainly. So uh, I'm going to do more of like a fun question since Scooby Snacks were um, talked about. If you in front of you had a bag of Scooby Snacks, like what flavour would you want? What would you want them to taste like? Mm, What are you envisaging Mm. in your head if it was a human food? I'm thinking that Scooby Snacks are something closer to like wheat thins or Pringles mm-hmm. in the way that like every snack food has so many different flavors. I will say that over the course of uh, the entire like canon of Scooby-Doo that they have like tons of different flavors of Scooby oh, Snacks, really? That's which fun. is very funny. So I think that like they're as numerous as like, you know, Oreos are. So like I would love like a sun-dried tomato Scooby Snack. Ooh, savory. And like, I feel like the base, the base is like kind of just like a cracker, but you can put on whatever flavoring you want onto that. I'm definitely going to go sweet. I would go for like a, for Americans, like a Trader Joe's uh, cookie type situation. Um, but I think I would do like an oatmeal raisin with some kind of like white chocolate uh, base or frosting. That would be most delicious to me with some cranberries in there. Mm. I feel like because it is a dog snack, it has to be savory. And so I would do like a like a roast beef and rosemary flavor, I feel like. Sure. Mm. Have you ever like over time, have you ever looked at dog food, like the, the branding of dog food? And you're like, man, I wish I had that. Like, it's like, wow, look at all this real chicken that's in this can. <laughs> I would love that. Thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. If I could only just like unscrew it and not have to like cook I know. it, it it's was like just like a Thanksgiving there. meal in a can. Yeah. That sounds great. Wet, wet food in particular, it's like, I know it's disgusting. I've smelled it before, but it yeah. does look very good. <laughs> just the brand. The branding obviously is for the foodie humans that will buy a $10 can of dog food mm. for their dog. But then again, if you gave me something that like had nice prepared chicken hearts in it, like, yeah, I'd eat the shit out of yeah. that. That would be delicious. Yeah. Yeah. Now, please tweet at Julia and say, wow, I can't believe you love eating dog food. No, no, no. We do not do that here. Listen, your girl is eating a milk bone when I had a dog. I was curious. <laughs> I watched a lot of Scooby-Doo when I was a kid. It wasn't good. Go. It was edible, <laughs> no. but it wasn't good. I feel like a lot of the Trader Joe's ones are like a lot like you can't tell if they're a dog treat or a, or and, a cracker. Th- that's the thing to be like treats that both the humans and the dogs can eat. Mm. Oh, it is it's a like thing? a genre of food. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's like bakeries will sell 
dog slash human food, like little snacks that you could buy, little cookies. Yeah. Mm. I do like the idea of there being like a coffee shop menu, dog slash human food. <laughs> <laughs> it's very cute. I just love the idea, too, that like a modern Scooby-Doo is really into a puppuccino. Sure. Mm-hmm. He would be. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is a puppuccino just whipped cream? Yeah. That's so cute. That's adorable. I love that so much. I would also love it if I ate snacks and it made my teeth stronger so I could chew on more things. <laughs> I would love to chew on stuff instead of brushing my teeth. That sounds great, yeah, actually. Yeah, it's like, here, have these wheat thins and now your teeth have stronger enamel. Wonderful. Love it. Perfect. Well, as much as I would love to sit and hang out with you guys all day, there is the impending doom of judgment hanging over our heads. So let me just take care of that real quick. We have here, in terms of bonus points, uh, we have one, two... Uh, Julia for a well-planned question. We've won to Eric for answering well. I I think you did a good job there. We've won to Rowan for story arcs. I think that was very well handled. And another sportsmanship point for asking a lovely question of everybody around, uh, which I've done in the past and think is good because I did it and I'm the judge. I can Mm, do whatever mm, I want. mm. So that brings our total scores to... I can't believe I won. Thank you so much, (laughs) Rowan. It's really an upset. Rowan, you did such a good job, but like, you know, I've just been doing this for so long. I just took it away. Yeah. Um, Well, well, if you invert the scores, Eric does come on top um, <laughs> with, with uh, six points for so Scooby-Doo. Rude. We got seven points for Appa oh. and uh, our, our newest competitor, Rowan. You win with 10 points. Thank you so much. Well I would done. say it's beginner's luck, but in fact, it was just because Toothless is, is the best. So I, I owe it all to that little tadpole kitten dragon mm-hmm. of my heart. It's an excellent first choice. I've also never seen the series and I am going to have to watch it now and I'll I'll endure through the hard parts. You yeah. have to. I'll, uh, it's beautiful. I'll text you'll you guys. Know, you'll know when Test Flight comes on. I mean, what what a name for a song. That that sounds beautiful. Rowan, I did want to ask you, because this is a DreamWorks picture and we live in the 21st century where IP is turned Mm -hmm. out like everything. Are there like dragon baby, how to train your dragon babies like TV show? So there is a, yeah, there is a TV show because the, I mean, not to spoil the entire series for you, but Toothless does have kids at the end of the like film franchise. Um, And the kids make appearances. And so does he, again, in the TV show. That's adorable. Adorable. Can't wait. Well, I will have to get behind that. Guys, we have our winner. It's Toothless, well argued by Rowan Ellis. This has been another argument in the books for Head, Heart, Gut. Be sure to join us next month for a whole nother Head, Heart, Gut debate. There will be laughs. There will be tears. There will be points awarded. Maybe points taken away. Never happened before, but we'll, you know, eh, always a first. In any case, remember, everybody, your friends are wrong. You're correct.